I don't want to set the world on fire. I just want to start a flame in your heart. Welcome, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. Simple things like turning on the microphone. Uh, today is uh, September 3rd, 2020. It's actually, for those of you that are um, that follow Orthodox stuff, I mean, I know this. It's um, actually St. Phoebe's today, so my little girl's uh, got her name day today, too. So uh, we're going to be doing movie night and cake. Uh, this is an incredible type day, and I'll say it like this. Yesterday was extremely productive for a hump day. Very, very productive. Um, and today, uh, I thought that rather than focus on what we are going to be giving you very, very soon, I thought we can talk about China because this is going to pretty much make sense to all of you when the second part of Shadowgate comes out. See, the first one was just one portion. And we saw all of these, I would say, cascade of events. Now, I retweeted this morning my article from 2019 where I claimed that there was a wiretap in the White House and there was no whistleblower. And then if you notice months later after that publication, you know, because I really don't know what I'm talking about, suddenly all these records of... Uh, <laughs> you know, getting phone records of all these people manifested. But there was a little Easter egg in there that you can look at that will guide you to understand why and what and how all these departures have been happening lately and will be happening. So I thought that before we start on China, 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 China. We, oops, we visit very shortly, just for the first half hour, our local news so we can see what is going on locally as of now. And then we're going to talk China, China, China. And in order to talk about China, 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 we're going to have to talk about Beijing Biden. So those of you this morning probably noticed that I premiered on YouTube, which by the way, <laughs> I have absolutely zero privileges. I've said this, you know, many times. If you're being bombarded by advertisements, I'm not doing anything on that. I have, I've been completely demonetized. So now I'm not even getting, what's it called? Like premium membership revenue, nothing. So they're probably going to be bombarding you. Um, I wasn't allowed to upload um, my previous two episodes, uh, but from now on, I should be able to. So make sure you like, share, subscribe, etc. Uh, because it's the only way that I can get my shows out for those that um, are not Twitch or DLive or Facebook or Twitter connected. So let's start uh, with today's news. I think we should start with something a little bit more lighthearted, which is obviously with my favorite man, uh, Tucker Carlson, who interviews the the hair the hair salon um, that 
supposedly Nancy Pelosi says she was framed. And it's like, ah, you got caught, you mean. But okay. It'll be interesting to see if there are any repercussions for that um, hair salon owner. And I thought, who better than to tell us about this than the amazing Tucker Carlson, who just has the most impeccable timing. To the woman Nancy Pelosi is blaming. Erica Kayas owns the now famous salon in San Francisco and she joins us tonight. Erica, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you so, so much for having me. Nancy Pelosi claims on camera that you orchestrated a quote setup to entrap her into getting her hair blown out without a mask. Did you? No, absolutely not. How would you have done that? I mean, can you prove that this wasn't a diabolical setup? designed to bring down the Speaker of the House by blow-drying her hair? I, she had called the stylist and had, or her assistant did and made the appointment. So yes. the appointment was already booked. So there's no way I could have set that up. And I've had a camera system in there for five years. I mean, I didn't go in there and turn cameras on as soon as she walked in to set her up. So that's absolutely false. So Pelosi says that salons in San Francisco, and of course she lives there and she is the most powerful democratic legislator in yeah. the world, but she says she understood that the restrictions allowed a one-on-one -on -one appointment in salons. What do you make of that? I heard that and I thought to myself, well, as a hairstylist, I see clients one-on-one. -on -one, so that would mean I would be open. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it, yes. Pardon, start sorry to laugh. Yes, that it would mean sorry, that. Are yes. you are you open? No. What is that doing to you in your business? <sighs> um, for the past six months, we've I mean, we're pretty much done. Hmm. I mean, we've lost um at least sixty percent of our clients. Um, I've lost the majority of my staff. Um, so, you know, six months is a long time to be closed down. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's, it's too long. Uh, yeah. so your business has been destroyed by this. How yeah. do you, how do you feel about seeing the most powerful woman in America come into your salon in violation of the rules she supports, get caught and then blame you for it? To be honest, it was more hurtful. Um, she's been coming in for quite a while and, just to see her come in and especially not wearing the mask, that's what really got to me. But, yes. you know, this isn't even political. I mean, she's been coming in there. It's the fact that she actually came in and didn't have a mask on. And I just thought about, you know, my staff and people not being able to work and make money and provide for their families. And if she's in there comfortably without a mask and feeling safe, then why are we shut down? Why am I not able to have clients come in? So well, that, it's been, it's been hard. You're, you're not making a political point. You're, you're making a human point rooted in common sense. And what do you think? I don't know what the answer is. What do you think the answer is? Why can't, if Nancy Pelosi feels comfortable using your salon, why can't civilians use it? Exactly. And I'll be honest in our area in San Francisco, I mean, we're obviously the last um, county or city to uh, not open um, we've been trying to figure that out. We've been asking ourselves these questions for six months. I mean, for the past, actually four months, um, of why we are not reopened. Um, and that's kind of a good question. We, again, don't know. Huh? What are you going to do? Are you going to stay in the city? Do you think in San Francisco? 
Um, I don't think so. I, um, the hard part of all this is that I have been in that community for 12 years. And since this happened, I have received um, nothing but hate, uh, text messages, death threats. Um, they're going to burn my hair salon down. My Yelp page is just unbelievable um, with bad reviews. Um, it's just, um, it's sad that my community um, is pulling this when they're saying that I threw her under the bus when I, I didn't. Um, so that's hurtful, but I think, yeah, I think I'm pretty much done there. So, yeah. Well, I think that's one of the most heartbreaking stories I've heard in a long time, a long time. And I just want to restate for the people who are hating you for telling the truth. I, I don't consider this political. You don't seem like a political person. Um, and I'm just sorry that this is happening to you. Erica, thank you for coming yeah. on tonight. Thank you. So truth tellers are always attacked is the key lesson here. You can't talk about the truth. You can't talk about some people that you're not allowed to talk about or else you're going to get spanked. So now this woman has lost every, um, <laughs> she's lost her business basically, and she's being threatened and it's not fair. This woman, we don't know if she's a Republican, a Democrat, it doesn't matter. Again, <laughs> there's no such two parties. All right, let's get that straight. Uh, so, she came out to say, hold on a second. I'm a constituent here. You're waltzing in here. No mask. You feel totally safe. You're getting a blowout. I can't have my customers. They can't come in. And that's it. Well, we're going to talk about how uh, all of this occurred. I'm going to um, I've tweeted out a few things that I wanted to kind of get my listeners and my followers, uh, you know, primed uh, for what we're going to talk about today, even though it's going to be China centric, right? Even though it's going to be China centric, I'm going to show you how they took, uh, well, how the United Nations took this and took it to another level and what is assumed to be the end goal. And obviously that's going through Biden. Uh, but before we get to that, uh, we should talk about, you know, other uh, other news um, that we have going on. Um, one thing is fun to watch and see is Cuomo squirm. Uh, you know, we talked about this here, uh, you know, because we are the news, right? Where we talked about how... Um, Cuomo uh, is shutting down New York for the sole purpose of maintaining monies because he's broke. His, uh, you know, the whole city is belly up. They need to file bankruptcy and he doesn't want to file bankruptcy because that has a lot of repercussions for them too, accountability, et cetera, right? So here we have Cuomo upset when Trump threatened to defund New York City. Well, he should, because de Blasio has lost his damn mind. Crime has escalated. His wife, for some reason, hasn't cut back on her staff. Money's missing. Nobody knows where it is. Police aren't allowed to do their job. I mean, it's just pure insanity. He's destroying. He's destroying my hometown. That's my hometown. Take a listen. Look, the best thing he did for New York City was leave. Good riddance, let him go to Florida. Be careful not to get COVID. COVID and- Was that a threat, first of all, 
President Trump built that city. That's number one. That's disgusting. Number two, be careful you don't get COVID. Is that a threat? And you'll understand by the end of the show what I mean. Pushed New York due to Trump's negligence. He is the cause of COVID in New York. Changed his residence to go to Florida. Why? He can't come back to New York. He can't. He's going to walk down the street in New York. Forget bodyguards. He better have an army if he thinks he's going to walk down the street in New York. No, New Yorkers don't want to have anything to do with them. Sounds like a troll. Sounds like an insane troll that babbles and babbles. And like someone said, we should hang him by his nipple rings. This guy is a clown and he's upset. And you know what? Pull the plug, President Trump. Pull the plug. Make them go belly up. Pull the plug and hold them accountable. Hold them accountable for murder. He murdered people. That was mass murder sending people with a highly virulent and strand to nursing homes where he killed people. He was sending people to nursing homes that tested positive with COVID with body bags. I wrote an article about that. The New York Post actually posted that where people were being shipped there and they would send them with body bags and people were mortified. This guy is going to talk smack on our president. All right. And he knows it. Bit of a threat there. Man, uh, Cuomo really tore into the president of the United States last night because the president yesterday suggested uh, through the administration that they may try to figure out how to defund certain cities that are Anarchist jurisdictions, places where there is such lawlessness on the streets. Let's bring in Mike Huckabee, Fox News contributor, former Republican presidential candidate and author of a brand new book on sale right now. It's called The Three C's That Made America Great, Christianity, Capitalism and the Constitution. Governor, good morning to you. Good morning. Great to be with you guys. Great to have you. Okay, so that was the governor last night, right? All right. We're going to get in the Wayback Machine, Governor. Here is the same guy talking about the same president who six months ago he really kind of liked. Watch. Kudos where kudos are due. And here the vice president and the president responded very quickly. Uh, So I want to thank them for that. He has been good in delivering for New York. He has. He has. has. He has delivered for New York. Uh, He is ready, willing, and able to help. Do I have faith in the president? Look, what the federal government did working with states, as I just said, was a phenomenal accomplishment. The federal government stepped up and was a great partner. And I'm the first one to say it. Uh, We needed help and they were there. So Governor Huckabee, can you explain those two different people in the same body? There's a word for it, uh, Steve. It's called hypocrisy. Uh, This is a governor, Cuomo, who when he gets what he wants, he's just loving on Trump. Mm -hmm. But then it's election time and he's got to play the role of the bad guy, the Democrat who's out there supporting Biden. So now he's trashing the very president that he praised and the very president that reached out and helped him and helped New York. And here's what I think is interesting. When Cuomo says he's going to need an army to walk through New York. Truth is, he has an army. He's president. (laughs) You know what Cuomo doesn't care about? All those innocent elderly people and just single moms who are walking the streets of New York, they need an army to walk through the streets of New York, and they don't have one. Why doesn't he protect them? 
that's the real story. And all those talk about Trump leaving. Trump ain't the only one leaving New York. Thousands are leaving New York as quick as they can get out of there. The best business in New York right now is the U-Haul business. Mm -hmm. Get the heck out of there because nobody mm. wants to live there anymore. And the people that are left are the ones who can't leave. Uh, and by the way, uh, if you ask the NYPD, who do they want to guard, the governor or the president? I think I know who they're leaning towards. And that's who they've already endorsed. <laughs> Number two, it's not safe for anybody to walk the streets of New York. Thanks to him and his ridiculous mayor who could not be lower achieving. Meanwhile, let's talk about your op ed for a second. You write this judge, uh, judge Trump and Biden by their actions on law and order, not their words. What do you mean? Well, let me give an example. Senator Tim Scott put together a very serious proposal on police reform that should have been embraced by both parties because they were supposed to be solving an issue. And when the Dems said, well, we want amendments, he said, put them all on there, uh, as many as you want. And they, instead of taking the answer, yes, uh, they didn't just take a knee, they took a hike. So they're not serious about this. And that's what I'm saying. If they were serious about reform, if they were serious about law and order, they've had an opportunity to come to the table. Instead, they've taken to the streets. They burned, they've looted, and they've been silent about that now for months. And only when the polls started reflecting that people are sick and fed up with it, did they start saying, oh, you know something, looting and rioting, they're mm -hmm. not a really good thing for mm -hmm. America. But it took a months to come to that conclusion. Governor, we'd love to hear about your new book that's out now, The Three C's That Made America Great, Christianity, Capitalism, and Constitution. What can you tell us about it today? Well, there are underpinnings of the United States, and it made our country great. First is the Judeo-Christian understanding that we are individuals. We're not who we are because we're part of a collectivist system. We are who we are because individually God made us, God loves us, God has a purpose for us. And that's an important message that this country was founded on, the idea of individualism, that I'm not stuck where I was started. If I was, I'd be catching chickens down in Hope, Arkansas, living in a rent house where I started. But I'm not. Why? Because there's something about the individual freedom that this country was built on. Capitalism is the idea that I can actually own property. I can pick my own job. I don't have to be, you know, a candle maker because my father was like Benjamin Franklin's father was. It's why he loved this country. And then the Constitution. What an amazing document, a document that is unlike any other that created the government. And the primary thing of the Constitution is surprising to many people who never studied it. And that is this. The Constitution doesn't tell the people no, it tells the government no. It empowers people and restrains and restricts the government. That is a unique kind of policy and document for a government to live under. And we are blessed to be in the United States. And I talk about why. And all three are in jeopardy Amen. Uh, and maybe on the uh, and maybe on the uh, ballot. I'm November really 3rd. tired about all these books being pushed. I mean, all right. Everybody wants to write. You know, I actually <laughs> I, I had a I had a plan. Uh, obviously, making plans doesn't always pan out. My plan was that in uh, 2017, late 2017, um, I uh, well, I did negotiate and then I just killed it. So. The plan was that by 2018, I would have written um, another book. <laughs> I have written others. And um, that would have helped me just sit down and um, focus on what you're going to understand is the end game here with this infodemic. 
uh, and it's quite shocking how things uh, doesn't uh, how things don't pan out uh, when you um, make plans, especially when it's plans to obliterate uh, very nefarious activities. And you're going to get it today. You're going to understand a lot of that today. So uh, next in the news, we have, uh, you know, the Portland mayor who should have already been arrested, in, in my opinion, my humble opinion. He should have been arrested already. Um, and how he's coming into clashes with Antifa. And remember, you know, I am very, very happy to see that the mainstream media is now talking a bit of truth. But you have to understand that I don't want to say this so affirmatively, but <clears throat> these people have no interest of the people. These journalists are not helping the people. They are working against the people. And when the media is controlled, controlled by the government, and I might say not this administration, so, so it would be the fourth unelected branch of government. And they are pushing propaganda, propaganda that is not the administration's. Ergo, according to the NDAA, would be considered what? An enemy of the state propaganda. Let's get that clear. So if it was the Trump administration mm, um, pushing propaganda, and that is legalized through the changes that were made with the Smith-Mund Act. That would be considered legally okay. But if the propaganda that we see on CNN, MSNBC, Fox, OAN, all of them, pundits, social media, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, everywhere. Now, if propaganda being pushed there is going against the administration, then... In uh, more loose terms, it can be considered what? An enemy of the state, and it could be foreign influence that is doing this. You get where I'm going with this. So here we are. The Portland mayor is uh, <laughs> is facing off with an Antifa. I mean, he's an Antifa supporter too, but take a listen to this news clip. It's so weird. A self-proclaimed supporter of Antifa. Mayor Tom Wheeler failing to avoid a runoff with Sarah Iannarone. Portland attorney James Buechel says if she wins, it will mean more violence in the city. He joins us now. James, this is not an exaggeration. These are her exact words. She writes as follows back in January 2019. To those who say Antifa are violent thugs, I am not a violent thug, and I am Antifa. I'm Antifa because the red hats are coming after brown and black people, after Jews, after queer and trans people, and more. If she somehow won, what would that mean for Portland as it tries to recover over what has happened there over the last three months? I think it would mean we have another one of these leaders who's even more wrapped up in this these narratives of oppression and injustice and how any opposing views are a form of violence. And it's just, it's associated with disorder and it's the disorder would get worse. Hmm. Um, this is news that came out yesterday, um, KATU, which is news outlet there in Portland. 
that apparently her campaign was warned over campaign finance violations, her failing to disclose the top sources of her campaign funding. Her campaign said it stemmed from a donation that it refunded. What do you make of that? Um, well, the laws are pretty complex, so I don't know the details of that. Uh, but there's a lot of mysterious money moving around, and it wouldn't be surprised, surprise me at all if some of it is sloshing into her campaign. All right. Uh, let's switch topics now for a moment. There is an interesting thing going on throughout Oregon and, and quite frankly, throughout other states in our union. Oregon State Police now federally deputized as part of the Portland protest response. From a legal perspective, will this mean that this will make up, let's say, for liberal DAs who fail to charge these rioters because these rioters can now be charged federally? It will and it won't in the sense that now there can be federal charges and it'll be under the federal system and under the control of the U.S. attorney. The problem here in Oregon is that the U.S. attorney is pretty liberal, too. Okay. Can I, can I ask you, generally speaking here for a second, and talking about the potential of having someone who is self-proclaimed to be a member of Antifa um, being elected um, to, you know, office in not only Portland, but any city across the country with everything that we're seeing happening right now across our country with the violence, with the looting, with the rioting, what type of message does that send and what type of precedent do you think it sets? Well, it, it, sent, it sends a message that an element is coming into power that is completely intolerant of any other views and has a very radical, if not sort of Marxist revolutionary approach to wanting to change America. And that's, necess that's necessarily going to cause conflict because a lot of people don't want to go down that road. Hmm. It wonder, it raises the question, what this does mean going forward nationwide? I mean, is this going to be part of a string of pro-Antifa candidates or is this a one-off? But, you know, you raise interesting, interesting questions here, James. We appreciate your time as always. Thanks, James. Yeah, he had really bad audio too, didn't he? So here we are, Portland mayor is running against someone that's self-proclaimed Antifa, which is one of many organizations that are actually in the uh, holding bay of being declared domestic terrorists. And I'm glad to see that uh, the administration is now defining terrorism to you. Uh, back in 2016 and 2017 and 2018, I've used this many times. I've always said that the mainstream media are domestic terrorists. And what is terror? Terror is making you scared. It doesn't matter how, so, uh, to what degree of being scared for your life, for your livelihood, for your person, right? And it's really important to uh, clarify that in this day and age, cyber war is more detrimental to the to humanity than nuclear war. Because cyber wars, and wait till you see Shadowgate 2, you're totally going to get it, is, you know, a war that takes on a face like no other. I want you to listen and watch, if you're watching, this clip uh, about the Pentagon quickly, okay? Now, in this one, and it's actually recent, so weird that they're bringing this up. Listen to what kind of military China is supposedly building.
says that China's well on its way to its goal of becoming a, quote, world-class military that can match or even exceed the power of the United States Armed Forces. China now controls the largest navy in the world with roughly 350 ships and submarines compared to 293 for the United States, although we have more aircraft carriers, which is an important detail there. So it's also attempting to double the size of its nuclear warhead stockpile, according to this report, over the next 10 years. Joining me now with his thoughts on all this, General Jack Keane, Chairman of the Institute for the Study of War and Fox News Senior Strategic Analyst. General, great to have you with us. So um, what, do you, what do you make of this report? Well, I think it's largely accurate. If anything, it, it may be a little bit understated. Hmm. Um, China clearly is the most rapid growing military in the world today. They exceed U.S. capabilities, as you mentioned, in Navy ships, but also offensive long and medium range missiles and also air defense systems. And where they're heading uh, strategically on the long range military path is by 2035 or 40 to be the super dominating military power in the world, something the United States has held ever since the collapse of, of the Soviet Union. That's the path that they're on. And they're not there yet because to, to have that kind of domination, you would have to be able to project power worldwide. And that means bases, maritime and air bases. And they're just beginning that. The United States has 80 of those around, around the world. And that certainly enhances our global military capabilities. Secondly, though, and this is very concerning, at the present time, they have a near-term strategy, Martha, and that is to be able to take control of Taiwan militarily and deny the United States and its allies access to be able to stop that control and that defeat of Taiwan. And militarily, they have done very well with this in preparation for it. When we okay, so uh, talking about Taiwan, um, I wanted to uh, play a clip for you from my YouTube channel uh, where I uploaded Beijing Biden. This is a trip that Biden took to China. And during this trip, I'm just going to fast forward to that clip and then we'll watch it incomplete. I just want you to know that uh, Feinstein was there too. This is in 2015, the day, the actual day Hunter Biden got $1.5 billion from China. Uh, Feinstein was there and so is Beijing Biden. So take a listen to this. That there is no benefit for such a development. If such a development occurs, in spite of a genuine attempt to reach a verifiable accommodation that that will not occur, then I think you will see there will probably be enough votes in the United States Senate how did the vice president know that there's going to be enough votes with his smile? Yeah, we got the votes. We'll buy them. To support a limited nuclear defense. What topic came up? I believe there would be a much greater willingness on the part of Taiwan to accept some of the entrees made by um, Beijing if they believed they were heartfelt and believed that they could be trusted. Conversely. I believe Beijing would have a very different attitude about Taiwan and Taiwan's future if they had a clear understanding of an American position relative to Taiwan. 
What? What did you say, Biden? I'm sorry. Beijing Biden, what'd you say? He said, hey, of China, 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 if you're nice and you like coddle Taiwan, they will come to your arms. But China, come on, man. Don't you know where our administration sits on you annexing, you know, Taiwan? Come on, buddy. You should know better than that. You see that? You see that? Now let's go back to the other clip, just so that you can see how parcel tongue rolls, okay? That's what's important to see, this uh, fear war porn. We play war games, and we've been playing them for a number of years now, and they're out in, uh, in the open press. Uh, we're challenged to win, and most times we indeed lose in that very close sandbox to mainland China. The separation between Taiwan and mainland China is less than 100 miles. And yeah. that's where that fight would, would take place. Absolutely. And what right? Because they think that wars, World War II, were tanks in banks. Hmm. World War Three is banks in cyberspace. There is, they don't need to bloodshed. They could use technology. They've got artificial intelligence. They have so much. I dropped some information that I was privy to way before someone had leaked them. You know, maybe that someone got them leaked from someone who got them leaked, maybe from me, maybe from someone else. These are really, really long-standing communications uh, that I've been putting little pieces together so that you can see what's happening. Because you know what sucks is that people sit there and they're like, oh, yeah, I knew about that. You knew about it and you did nothing. Stop. You may have known about it, but you didn't know diddly squat of how it's applied. So now I am showing you they are threatening you with physical harm through physical war when we know physical war doesn't really have the capabilities of threat anymore. Everything is done digitally. You think those tanks will move if we drop an EMP? Fuck no. So why are they threatening people like that? Why are they telling you, oh, these tanks are going to come? Why would they expend a thousand soldiers and tanks and all this stuff, right, to attack us when all they could do is push a button and, whoa, there it comes from the satellite. Are you kidding? Who's buying this? Because if you're buying this, you're still not awake to understand what the real war is. It has nothing to do. So stop. It's not this. But here is how they're misdirecting your attention. Look at all of these. I mean, honestly, we've seen productions like that before with all these tanks and missiles and parades. Please, can you see the misdirection? Do you really think they're going to have that how many times have we talked about the START agreement? How many times have we talked about missiles, nukes being in space? How many times have we talked about AI warfare? That is how they do it. Oh, and biological warfare. We'll get to that because that is where it gets really interesting. Really interesting because when you find out the end game of what the WHO did and for WHO, right? 
even though we say it's China, it's because we invented China and China was supposed to be the core. They're misdirecting your attention to say, oh my gosh, they're like buying weapons. They got tanks. Well, they got to ship those tanks over here first. That's number one. Oh my gosh, they're going to take over Taiwan. Okay, not America. And we'll stand by Taiwan because they've been trying to do that for a while. So the question you should be saying is, why are they showing us tanks? We know that era has gone. So what's really going on here? Hmm. hmm. This is going to be very interesting today. So the Chinese are able to take out all of our bases and keep our Navy at bay where they can't use their missiles as well as their aircraft against that fight to assist the Taiwanese. That is their current strategy. Yeah, because we don't have Space Force. That's how we annihilated that terrorist. But, you know, this expert knows best. You need to focus on the choo-choos, the tanks, the missiles and the ships, you know, forget the fact that we have Space Force. And it, and it is a sound one. It's what we refer to in military circles, an asymmetric strategy focused on a very specific threat in a very specific place. So one of the things that came up in the interview that Attorney General Bill Barr did today with Wolf Blitzer at CNN was he was asked, you know, who, who presents the bigger election threat, because we know that the military aspect of this is just one aspect. They try to infiltrate our elections. They try to uh, expand their influence all through Africa and other places around the world. Um, but, but this is what the attorney general said. Watch this. Russia, China and Iran, which is the most assertive, the most aggressive in this area? I believe it's China. Which one? China. China more than Russia right now? Yes. Why do you say that? Because I've seen the intelligence. That's what I've concluded. What's your reaction to that? Yeah, he's absolutely right. It used to be Russia, but China, there <laughs> used to be Russia. I've been espionage program is hard to get your head around the scale of it. This Actually, that's a lie. And we're going to talk about that. There's not tens of thousands involved in it. There's hundreds of thousands involved in this commitment every single day penetrating the United States and every capability we have and function in this country to, to steal intelligence, to steal technology. Director Ray of the FBI said that the majority of his counterintelligence investigations, that means against the foreign threat penetrating the United States, the overwhelming majority are China. So we, we shouldn't be surprised that China would have the same intent with, with our elections. He said, uh, which was pretty shocking, he said, we on average open up a new case against China every 10 hours uh, in this country. Mm. It's a massive threat, but it doesn't mean they're going to be successful. And, and I don't think they will be. It's not a massive threat because if they shoot anything from China, we can intercept it. They've done it already. And we did that. We have a space force. So why are they telling you, hey, focus here? And not where. Huh. Well, I'm going to take you to that where so you get it. The, the Russians tried very hard again in 2018 and they didn't succeed. And and the Chinese, if they try, they're not going to succeed either mm -hmm. because we fight back using cyber yeah. uh, offensive technology, which the president had admitted to a few weeks ago. Well, I hopefully, we, you know, as you say, we get better and better at this all the time and we have to be on our toes. Um, I, I think China is going to be a major issue in these debates. We just learned today who the moderators for these debates are going to be. And we look forward to them. Chris Wallace. Yeah, Chris Wallace is going to be part of those debates. Let me tell you something, guys. These people hate America. These two people that you saw on the screen are getting money kicked back from organizations. Well, we only brought up one conglomerate, okay? 
<laughs> oh my God, I'm so not gonna, I'm gonna have to make you wait. But I want you to think, what if you're a spectator? You know, I am, you know, Millie and I were talking yesterday and we were like, you know, we should sell popcorn <laughs> because you're going to realize how you are sitting, getting attacked by stray bullets per se, right? Stray live fire. Okay. And you're just stuck in the middle while there's another war going on. So I want you to realize that for every war, there's two sides. Shadowgate attacked one side. I'm just going to leave you that hint. And uh, again, we don't need tanks. We don't need missiles, ships, and airplanes. We have all that. We have the defense we need. I mean, we could disarm the whole world with a, you know, just one pulse. And those were all, all of them will be inert. So that is not what we need to fear. I mean, it's good to have our eyes on it. Don't get that wrong. But we should not fear that. We should be keeping our eye on the ball. And as I've said, you know, we can disarm everyone, including ourselves, with one simple move. Ergo, we shouldn't really focus on the tanks. This is just fear porn. This is just war porn. That's what it is. It is not the real war. Casualties of war, of the real war, are in varying degrees. The people of the United States, I've said this, we are free only on paper. They have violated every single right we have, every single one, including our First Amendment right. The only thing we have left is our vote. And that vote has been scammed from us for decades. Now that we are in control, the ball is in our court, we are making sure that that vote stays so that we can regain our freedom. I don't think people understand what a big deal this is. Nobody, no, they don't. I'm just saying, no matter how woke you are, the more you look at it, and it doesn't speak. I saw someone respond to my tweet. Hey, this was like, there was a source that published this public facing years ago. Why didn't you put the source? Well, if it was there, how come you didn't understand it? Right? And obviously, gladly, because there's more than one public source, I'm able to show it. And I've been not showing it because... Sometimes it's like looking at the end of the book and you're like, meh, I read this and you get desensitized. So timing is everything. The way it is taught is everything. Okay. And not only that, when you're in school, if your teacher starts throwing, uh, you know, quadratic equations at you and, and you're still on the multiplication table, when you come across quadratic equations, you're going to like, meh. I thought about those, but guess what? You won't understand them because you were tossed that information 
when you couldn't grasp that information. So it's all about waking up. The great awakening is understanding where exactly you stand and what these weapons are that are being used against you, against everyone. So when I see people saying, oh, we totally knew about this. And it's like, yeah. So then why are you sitting silently like, oh, it's not news. And it's like, okay, so what have you done to combat this? Well, uh, uh, that's all you get. That's because you were given it, you were given information at an infantile stage and could not grasp it. So when you saw it in a more developed stage, you're like, oh, that's old news. I can disregard that. It's it's typical. That's what happens. It's normal. That is how the human brain processes information. So now moving along with Beijing Biden. I want you guys to see the full video of Beijing Biden. Pay attention to uh, Diane Feinstein, and then we'll start um, the second half of this show, where you're going to see exactly what this infodemic is really about. Thank you very much. It's a shining And there's a, an article in the Washington Times just today, uh, which makes a comment about uh, dozens of sales uh, known to the top officials of the PRC going to Pakistan. And this is not the first occasion. This has been a pattern which goes back many years. And uh, Okay, we're going to stop it there. Pakistan. So let's just take a couple minute break and we'll be right back. I just want to start a flame in your heart. All right. Welcome back, guys. I just needed that break to get some things. One thing uh, I haven't explained to you is um, uh, the song. So two songs, Silent Running, we'll get to that at some point. But I think it's important for people to understand the ink spots and what their role was. If you remember in 1920 and even in the 30s, they had race wars. And this was a group uh, that came together and was accepted by both communities because, you know, apparently they were different communities at the time. And this song was one of their most popular to breaking down walls of racial prejudice. It, uh, in history, it is known to have been one of the most wall-breaking songs. And for me, 
I'm just saying when I first heard it, it wasn't I, how I, and it was very well put the way they did it. The spark in your heart shouldn't be for someone, but for the things you stand for. And if the world has to be set on fire to get you to see that, then so be it. And this is, um, you know, uh, why the song is so important. Now, I want to travel back in time with you guys. You heard Pakistan, and we're going to talk about Pakistan. And so now we're going to go to goodie but oldie of Joe Biden back in 2001 after 9-11. This is going to be so much fun. I want you guys to listen to this interview. Here we go. You know, back to work somehow. There's a lot of things we can do, Larry, and I think this is a heck of a wake-up call. And uh, look, the UN is going to pass the resolution saying that international terrorism is the obligation of all countries to cooperate now. They've never done that before. This is an opportunity, Larry, to begin the end of international terrorist networks. And we can't do it alone. We've got to do it with the cooperation of other countries. And do you agree with that? Do you agree with Senator McCain that it has to be carefully planned, that we can't act impetuously absolutely, like tomorrow morning? Abs- absolutely, positively. For- Hold on. I just want you to know, these are the OGs of the Gang of Eight, all right? OGs. OGs. You heard one. McCain, Biden. Two reasons. One, it may make us feel good, but it may end up breaking that coalition. For example, right now, I've spoken with the head of security, the head of the the ISI, the you know the 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 uh, the CIA of Pakistan. They have been very reluctant to be anywhere near us. They are granting us specific opportunities. Musharraf, the the president of Pakistan, is coming on board in a way he's never has before because he has no coalition. For example. Wait a minute. You mean you spoke with the CIA of Pakistan? Let's let's look at this great video some guy put together that explains Pakistan's intelligence community so well. So well. Hold on. Wait, let's go back. Wrong. Here we go. Let's find this is a really good one. I was uh I was like, oh, I have to talk about the ISI. Oh, ISI, ISIS, ISI, ISIS. Damn those word plays. Take a listen to this guy's incredible video. Uh, let me see. His channel is um, FTD Facts. Uh, pretty great video here. 11 surprising facts about ISI. So listen to this. Terrorist Intelligence, also known as ISI for short, was formed on January 1st, 1948. The agency is made up of military officers and personnel from Pakistan's armed forces. Pakistan's powerful intelligence agency ISI is among the most active intelligence enterprise and covered direct action forces in the world. It is part of the Pakistani army, but it operates generally beyond the control of the Pakistani government as a whole. 
Thanks for joining me here on another episode of FTV Facts. I'm Leroy Kenton, and now by far this past week, this was the most requested topic. I mean, like, everybody wants to know about the ISI. Mustanir Ahmed requested it, Zuhaib Muhammad as well, Salman Saeed, and then we have Khalid Al-Baloshi, and then we have Minahal Salim, and not to mention a bunch of other people. So let's begin with the facts. The American Crime News declared Pakistan's inter-service intelligence to be the world's best and strongest intelligence agency back in 2011. The ISI headquarters is located in Islamabad, Pakistan, and its main focus is to protect Pakistan's national interests, as well as look into matters of political and social interest to Pakistan and advise the military in the best steps to take. Now, over the years, the ISI has stopped many terror-related attacks well before they were even executed. The ISI is also the largest intelligence agency in the world. The ISI has close to 10,000 agents in the field worldwide. Ironically, it's one of the least funded agencies in the world. It's above all laws in its home country of Pakistan, and it's often referred to as a state within a state because its policies are made outside of all the other institutions with the exception of the army. Now, I want to talk a little bit about Operation Cyclone. If you're not familiar, it was a code name given to an operation between the American CIA and the Pakistani ISI beginning in 1979 and ending in 1989. Trip down memory lane, we talked about this. See, this is how I deliver information. Now, for those of you that have heard those episodes, I told you about the Russian Jihad. Remember that? The Russian Jihad, where the Taliban were taken on and Osama bin Laden at that time, not Osama bin Laden at the time, you know, spelling, words, wordplay, I-S-I-I-S-I-S. The Al-Qaeda political group was radicalized to get Russia. Remember that? But that was the U.S. plan, a trap codenamed Operation Cyclone, funded by the CIA and designed to draw the USSR into an expensive and distracting Vietnam-like war. Now, the objective of this mission was to stop the invasion of the USSR forces into Afghanistan by providing support to the Mujahideen fighters in Afghanistan. Now, it was one of the most expensive CIA operations that it has ever undertaken, and it cost them roughly 20 to $30 million U.S every single year, but that was up until 1980. And by the time they reached 1987, it rose to $630 million a year. It's also reported that no ISI agent has ever been caught or turned. Although this has never been verified. BS, we got the awans. The Pakistani government has not yet taken responsibility for any alleged undercover agent that was caught on foreign soil. There are stories of a... We actually caught the awan brothers, so... I'm just saying. Officials like squadron leader Khalid Kawaja that were arrested on Pakistani soil for a conspiracy against the state. But it seems like the ISI has been very good at insulating themselves from any direct involvement in any of the covert operations that they have supposedly orchestrated. If this is true, that's very impressive. The ISI have also played very crucial roles in arresting members of Al-Qaeda as well as the Taliban. Even though most Western TV shows and movies show the ISI in some kind of negative light, where they're possibly shown collaborating with terrorists, the ISI actually have worked very close with the CIA in bringing down crucial targets and officials of the Taliban and the Al-Qaeda all across the world. ISI is a very professional organization in my experience over the years. I have a lot of respect for them. And I also think it's only in Western minds 
and in especially American minds, that you can expect an intelligence service of a foreign country to do something counter to its own interests, to its country's interests. While they're so let's go back to that video. Wait, we're going to go back. You're going to see this obsession, a super obsession. Hold on. Let me see if I can find it. Was it here? I'm going to find the video. I have another video of Biden that I've archived. Gosh darn it. I need to show it to you. Gosh, why did the computer do this to me? Hold on a second. Let's open up these files. It's going to be so much fun. See where the Awan brother comes? Because a lot of people ask me, and it's like, not yet, not yet. But we need to talk about it now. So hold on a second. Let's see. Where is my Biden file? Yeah, I have a Biden file. Pakistan Joe. Oh, that didn't have volume, did it? <sighs> This one. Let me see if I can find it. So we heard him on. Um, oh, geez, no. Are you kidding? That sucks. Okay, I'm gonna have to find that again. Shoot, 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 shoot. That darn, 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 darn. Okay, I've got this, guys. Give me one moment. I'm going to find this. One moment. This is going to be so interesting for you to watch. Where is it? It's where he was with Charlie Rose. Give me Welcome a second. to the broadcast. Hold on. I found the video. You're going to see how obsessed in 2001... Biden was Biden of Delaware with Senator. Pakistan. Thank you for coming. Happy to be here, John. Tell me what you think the Congress might do in response to this tragedy. Well, I think the first thing it's going to do, Charlie, is continue to fully support the president. He has incredible assets available to him to move against the perpetrators of this uh, these incredible acts of terrorism. We're narrowing down very clearly who the targets may be. But one of the things the president has done and Secretary Powell has done that I think has been masterful so far is for the first time in our history, Charlie, NATO has voted that this is what we call in the jargon an Article 5 issue, which means that it is viewed as an attack against the entire alliance. And the one way to ultimately deal a blow to this kind of organized terrorism in the world is multilaterally and internationally with all parties involved. And I want to congratulate Secretary Powell and the president for getting this passed through NATO. They're working very closely with moderate Arab states, the Chinese and the Russians, to build a consensus that when we strike, we not only strike ourselves, if we need, we will strike alone. But when we strike back, we will strike with the world behind us and literally with the possibility of other forces behind us. And so I think this doesn't mark an end of the way of life for Americans. I think this has the potential to mark the end of the way of life for organized terrorism in the world. Do I hear you saying that you believe that countries in addition to NATO, like Russia, like China, like moderate Arab countries, like Egypt, like Jordan, are on board for a for a, a united strike against whoever might be identified 
as responsible for these attacks on America? Let me be very precise. NATO is on board if it is shown, and I think we'll be able to show, that this was an attack from beyond our shores that is organized by, it wasn't a domestic terrorist action, which I think we'll be able to show with some clarity relatively soon, number one. Number two, NATO. Wait, did you hear that? So NATO was like, hey, if this isn't an inside job, meaning if you Americans didn't orchestrate this, then we'll get behind you. Now, this is an interview from September 12th, 2001, okay? 2001. You're going to see QISI. Hmm? So, listen carefully, because this is extremely important, because then you're going to understand who the underlingings of CrowdStrike really, really were. No forces then have signed on to participating with us in whatever action it takes to respond to this act of war. Number three, it is very important if that does occur that we have the minimum, the concurrence of and the support, if not in troops, the support of Putin and Russia and the Chinese as well as the moderate states, because then the message sent from that point on, Charlie, around the world is any nation who harbors these kind of networks and organizations not only has to face the West, but as a pariah in the rest of the world as well. That would be the single most significant step that will have ever occurred in dealing with network terrorism. We're never going to stop the guy who straps dynamite to his body and walks into a restaurant to implode himself, but we can we can stop this kind of network that is obviously sophisticated and obviously needed to practice, obviously has camps, obviously has undertaken this for a long time. So this clearly means, as the president suggested, that any country who harbors people who commit these kinds of acts uh, should be held as responsible as the people who do the acts. Absolutely. I remember being on your show oh, a year and a half ago, Charlie, and we talked about sovereignty. And I remember you asking me at the time, did I think we had the right to just unilaterally react against a country that had harbored someone? And at that time, remember, there were attacks being taken place on, on Afghanistan. And I said to you at the time that I think the world has changed so that a nation forfeits its sovereignty when it... Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Minute, wait a minute. Are you paying attention to the lingo? He's talking about Afghanistan. He's talking about 1998. I've told you about Afghanistan in 1998. If you go to Global Security Group, you're going to see that we started in 1998. You're going to see exactly what I've been telling you over almost the past three years, step by step, because you are going to realize that the curtain has been pulled. Now, even though we've pulled the curtain and everybody thinks that all these governments work, Ah, uh, their intelligence community, everything. You're going to see that ISI <laughs> is really just a bunch of private contractors too. But for who, who is the question you should be asking yourself? It harbors terrorists or treats terrorists with kindness and or cover. And uh, I think that this is beginning to be, there's the possibility, it's not done yet. 
It's not done yet. And if it doesn't get done, we're not going to wait for multilateral response to this. We have many assets that we're fully capable of responding, and we will. But there is the potential to build for the first time, Charlie, a consensus where you take this notion of international terrorism out of the geopolitical dynamic, where, for example, the Russians have to be thinking, does it make sense for me to continue to fund a program for long-range missiles in Iran? The Chinese have to begin to question their own judgment about their relationship with Pakistan and so on, because I can't believe that the Chinese leadership and the Russian leadership could not picture that aircraft flying into a building in Moscow or a large tower in Hong Kong, Shanghai, or Beijing. They understand that this is not something that is controllable, and they're viewing it more like nation states than they are like people playing dominoes or playing chess um, with, uh, with what they view to be as their strategic opponents. There is a consensus growing here, and uh, my hope, and my expectation is that Secretary Powell will continue to be able to pursue this at the United Nations, as well as with the European Union, to begin to build this kind of consensus. In the meantime, I want to make it clear, in the meantime, the president need not wait. The president need not uh, uh, temper his take anything off the table in terms of response to the action that has been taken against us if he feels he is able to clearly and unambiguously act in a way that will produce a result. But I think there's a real opportunity here, Charlie. And again, I, I conclude my point where I began it, and that is people are talking about this changes the way of life for Americans. If we change our way of life, they've won. We should not change our way of life. I view this as the end, the beginning of the end of the ability of organized terrorist groups and large cells to be able to get the cover and sucker of other nations and only be opposed by the West. You think this is the start of a serious war against terrorism? I, I believe it is, and God willing, it will be. And again, I want to compliment Secretary Powell for what I consider to be an extraordinarily deft move in being able to get NATO to take on for the first time in NATO's history. This is the first time it's ever been done. How, close, how close, based on what you know, is the administration to ha having a provable case against uh, an identifiable person, group of people responsible for these actions? As you know, the detail that's classified, Charlie, but I, would, I don't think I'm violating any, any secrecy here by saying uh, very close um, to being able to make a, uh, an overwhelming case, a case that would meet the standard that NATO set up, which is if it is determined. Um, uh, it might not meet a legal standard beyond a reasonable doubt in a court of law, but this is what? war. This is not Did you hear law. that? See how they say that? It might not be able to meet the reasonable standard in a court of law. Hmm. Very interesting, isn't it? So here we go again with Pakistan. Pakistan. China needs to reevaluate Pakistan. Russia needs to reevaluate this. Everybody, Pakistan, Pakistan, Pakistan. So ask yourself, what's up with Pakistan? Well, let's revisit and see the rest of these fun facts about the ISI.
There are sources that link ongoing relations between the terrorist organizations and the ISI. The Pakistani intelligence service has played a very crucial role in the capture of very prominent agitators like Ramzi Youssef, Abdul Ghani Baradar, Ahmed Omar, Saeed Sheikh, and many more. Pakistani security forces captured one of Osama bin Laden's chief lieutenants, Abu Zabaida, along with 19 other al-Qaeda operatives in the eastern Pakistani city of Faisalabad. The ISI arrested September 11 mastermind Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. Going further, the ISI and the Pakistani military have worked effectively with the United States to continue pursuing the remnants of al-Qaeda. And following 9-11, Pakistan stationed 80,000 troops in the troubled province of Waziristan near the Afghan border in order to help break the back of the al-Qaeda network. Now, as I mentioned earlier in this episode, that the ISI have close to 10,000 members. And I say that because the official number hasn't been confirmed. But what is known about the ISI is that they do recruit from Pakistan's military, as well as they recruit civilians and put them through a lot of rigorous training. The training seems to be very secretive because there's very little information and details about it. But what we do know is that the agents are trained in covert intelligence gathering and counterintelligence. Again, I mentioned that the headquarters of the ISI is located in Islamabad, Pakistan, and the comp. I should tell you about Pakistan. So I've been to Islamabad a few times. Now I can tell you that the Awan brothers have actually concluded training. Usually this training is being held in the mountains of Afghanistan, out in Uzbekistan, China, as well as Pakistan. So it, Pakistan is very, very important. We've got Pakistan and China so busy, busy, busy. See, I've been you know, telling you about the Awan brothers and how they, you know, I didn't say much. I just said they played a very key role in Seth Rich's boxing and determination. They are very, very good. Because if you think the terrorists that you see on your TV flying banners, the kids with the guns, the ones that strap the vests, those are the losers. Those are the body bags. This organization, ISI, ISIS, I mean, come on. They they're not even creative, <laughs> okay? They're not even creative. Uh, you know, when you see who trains them with your money, <laughs> your federal tax dollars, that's going to be Shadowgate, the, the number three, <laughs> number three. Because you first have to see one and two. And then number three, <laughs> a lot of people think they know a lot about the Awan brothers. They have no idea because ISI, ISIS, one in the same. And how do they say it in Urdu? Chup chup, yar. <laughs> so listen carefully. This was such an excellent find, this video. Incredible. Complex consists of various low-rising buildings separated by lawns and fountains. Declan Walsh, a journalist at The Guardian, he says that the entrance is suitably discreet, no sign, just a plainclothes officer packing a pistol. Walsh also said that the complex resembles a well-funded private university and that the buildings are neatly tended. Moving on now to Operation Tupac. Yeah, you heard that correctly, but it has nothing to do with the American rapper. Yeah.
Operation Jubak was the name of a three-part operation that was designed to secretly support the militants of Kashmir. It was partly started by Pakistan's president Zia-ul-Haq back in 1988, and the name comes from Tupac Amuru II, which is the 18th century prince who led the war of liberation in Peru against the Spanish rule. The ISI is currently engaged in covertly supporting the Kashmiri militants. Stop. Let's just take a pause right here. So ever since President Trump has taken office, have we seen tensions escalating in that area? Have we seen the strangulation that Russia has been putting on Pakistan? Have we seen Imran Khan and Modi coming together about Kashmir? Suddenly, the world's on fire because mm. the pants are being pulled down. Shadowgate 1 showed you one team. Shadowgate 2 shows you another team. Shadowgate 3 will show you exactly who is who? Hmm? Uh, I mean, you'd be able to draw conclusions. So let's just say this episode of Tori Says is walking you through to understand China in their fight against the Indian authorities in Kashmir. This is because the militants in Kashmir are fighting to be independent from India and become part of Pakistan. Of course, for Pakistan, the overwhelming obsession is India. Another thing I want to highlight is the Kargil War. The Kargil War was back in 1999. The line of control between India and Pakistan is probably one of the most inhospitable places in the world. Hold on. Remember when I told you just on a random... Do you remember the time when missiles were being flown between India and Pakistan in the 90s and everyone's like, what the hell is going on? This is it. This was the time that Bill Clinton's administration put a chokehold on them and made them fall in line, if that's the right word to use or statement. There's an unwritten agreement that during the winter, neither force will occupy the border's posts. The ISI broke this agreement in the winter of 1998 to 1999, which led to the Kargil War in the following summer. Although Pakistan is considered to have lost this war, the war is also considered a victory for the ISI as it caught RAW, its Indian counterpart, completely off guard. India had no clue about the infiltration until they were informed about an unknown strangers occupying Indian posts. Now we're coming down close to the end. Let's talk about Mullah Muhammad Umar Mujahid. He was a top Taliban leader and it No, his name is not Ali Abdul Razak <laughs> Akbar. It's an open secret now that he was trained by the ISI. A captured Taliban spokesman by the name of Mohammed Hanif told the Afghan authorities back in January of 2007 that Omar was protected by the ISI in the city of Quetta in Pakistan. By November of 2009, the Washington Times were claiming that Omar had been helped by the ISI and that he was now in Karachi. It was only in January of 2010 that Amir Sultan Tarar, who was a retired official and ISI agent, said that Omar was ready to break with his Al-Qaeda allies and make peace with Afghanistan. 
And finally, let's talk about nuclear tests. Although it's never been proven for sure, but it's said that the Indian RAW, as well as Israeli Mossad, flew over Pakistan's nuclear test facilities in order to gather information, but they were unable to do that because the ISI planned to keep its nuclear facilities secret and even change the location of its test sites multiple times to keep away anybody from seeing anything. They finally settled in the Pakistani city of Chagi and ensured the security of the nuclear equipment by guarding the transport plane with six F-16 fighter jets. So it's unclear what sort of nuclear tests have been going on, but that's just how the ISI rolls. People don't necessarily know exactly what they're up to. Now that concludes this episode about the ISI. Thank you guys so much for bringing it to my attention. I learned a lot during this video. This I hope you guys learned a lot um, from this video. Um, you should follow this guy. He's got some really good, you know, 10. I'm actually going to click subscribe like right there. and I'm going to like it. This was a great video. And as they say in Hindi, kuch kuch kota hai. And you're going to see a lot of that. Sometimes things happen. And uh, this is just the beginning, because this is why we need to focus on the election. Remember, Russia is fighting off Pakistanis, Indians, and Chinese. China is coming in hard on India. We're seeing standoffs. You're seeing it. You have to be seeing it. You know what's funny? John Brennan once, <laughs> this is a really funny reminiscent story. It was a, it was a while back. It was a, a meeting. There were croissants and cookies. And he was reminiscing of that time in Karachi on how he was learning certain signal systems and training, called them really, uh, what did he say? Um, animals the way they train animals because it was very, how did he say? Um, let's just, rather than me say this, because it's disturbing, I should say it was very realistic on how they train. Yeah, I'll, I'll leave it at that for now. So now, I introduce you to ISI so you can understand a few things. And I've also told you about Biden's love affair with China and Russia. <laughs> Not anymore, though, obviously, with Russia, with China. And so we get to the point where we have Biden talking about 9-11, right, where he's talking about Pakistan and I want you to just listen to a little bit more, just another minute of this interview. It's pretty interesting. Enforcement undertaking. That's an interesting point because some people have criticized the terrorism effort before saying that administrations in the past have considered it a law enforcement question rather than a question of war and therefore uh, with all the possibilities of state sponsorship. 
Yeah. Well, I think that's true. But let, I, again, we have to make some very clear distinctions. Even in times of war, the civil liberties of Americans and the legal standard against Americans and our people in this country have to be met in order to take them to trial. Um, but that does not mean that we cannot take action <clears throat> abroad relative to um, our own national interest and our safety. Uh, and because what look, what's happened here, Charlie, is uh, I think the analogy to Pearl Harbor is I don't think it's an appropriate analogy other than it was a dastardly deed that was done in a cowardly way. Um, uh, but the analogy that this is like a war uh, is real because the extent of the damage and the necessary um, sophistication and networking required, the dozens if not hundreds of people required to pull this off could not have been done in the basement of, uh, of some flat in some large city in Europe or the Mideast or anywhere else. Um, so there has to be Okay, so let me just, so flat. Americans don't use the word flat, so this means that he was really recently debriefed or working with foreign intelligence, right? Uh, that's a term that they use in uh, Europe, specifically England. They call it a flat. Uh, so that gives away a lot just by him making that statement, not some basement. And it wasn't, you remember, because they knew the identities of the people on the plane, like the one that hit the tower and the passport, even though the building totally exploded, it flew down and it was indestructible and it was found on the ground and picked up by some anonymous dude that gave it to the police officer and said, oh, look, this flew down from the tower. This bomb-proof passport, but that same explosion annihilated steel bars. This passport came out of the pocket of this bomber, right? Came out of his pocket, flew out the windows of the airplane that were closed and landed perfectly on the ground where a passerby could find it. Right. That's it. And, uh, you know, when that tower was built, we weren't buying our steel from China, but uh... complicitous parties here who have known and it's not sufficient. For example, some countries are going to have to make some very difficult decisions. All the countries expressing sympathy and they all have have to have made it has to be very clear to them that they've got to choose sides now, particularly Pakistan. Pakistan has to decide. Pakistan has to decide. What is this obsession with Pakistan? China has to pick a side, but particularly Pakistan, Pakistan, Pakistan. Where are they? Where are they? With whom do they stand? And the interesting thing about this is, Charlie, is the rest of the world is going to have to line up here. And the same thing is going to happen in the Middle East. Arafat has to understand if he thinks he can continue to engage in not bringing this kind of activity on a smaller scale to a halt or at least attempting to uh, in, in, in the West Bank, he is sadly mistaken about where the sympathies of the West and the American people and, quite frankly, I think the world are. And so I think this, this is a god-awful way to present that what we present it with the possibility, the possibility of a larger resolution here. Um, that does not in any way give solace. I know I've lost a wife. I've lost a child. I hope you're listening to this, okay? 
This is a really important interview. This is from September 12th, 2001, okay, where Joe Biden is talking about Pakistan, okay, and calling out Pakistan live on international television. I know this is just Charlie Rose, but our buildings had just been taken down, uh, you know, the day before by airplanes. So everyone was watching. So think, we have Biden talking about Pakistan in 2001. And he also talked about Pakistan in 2015. And everyone's always talking about Pakistan, Pakistan, Pakistan. So the question you have to ask yourself is, what the heck is going on here? Why is Pakistan so important? What is the importance of Pakistan is the question that many people should be questioning too. I mean, the links we have to Pakistan are, oh yeah, that's right, the Awan brothers. So this is just one of many of these um, odd happenstance occurrences that are happening. Take a listen to the rest of this interview. Let me pull up my video. Uh, it's quite interesting because here's where he continues. But again, he spoke, this is him in 2001, still bumbling. There's actual video of him, like, not well. Think, Pakistan. <laughs> how many of them are in your corner shops? This is how they train them, guys. How are you going to find them? I don't know. We should ask. I mean, did you ever hear the word Pakistan and 9-11, maybe an involvement, right? You paying attention now? Of what it's like to get that phone call. I have some small notion of that. And so I know nothing, nothing that good that comes from this, nothing, even if the best occurs and we really get our arms around the terrorist activities worldwide, will give any solace to any of the people who've, who've lost loved ones here. But it is, my mom has an expression, out of every tragedy, something good may come if you look hard enough. This gives no solace to the people who have been injured. And right now, it probably Americans are listening to me saying, Biden, why aren't you just talking about the anger you feel? I feel incredible anger about what's happened, but I also feel that this is an opportunity if we do it correctly, and I like the way Powell's going about this, right. that we may very well do something very, very good. Your, your assistants are saying to my <laughs> colleagues that you have to go, because I've got to get two questions in. Sure. Uh, do you believe that Osama bin Laden and his associates are responsible for these attacks? Do you, Senator Biden, Chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee, believe Osama bin Laden and his colleagues, associates are responsible? Because I've accessed all the classified information, if I answer that either way, Charlie, it's going to be my violating. I mean, it's going to be presumed it's based on, on information I've been given. So I'm going to, I, I apologize. Okay, well, let me ask the defer. second question. It, do you believe it's possible that someone could have carried these acts off with the precision of these four planes and perhaps more uh, without having some relationship 
to the intelligence organizations of other states, like Iraq, like whoever you might choose. I won't choose? mention any country, but I think it's very unlikely, virtually impossible, for an action like this to be have carried off without at least the tacit assistance of another country. And by that, you mean more than simply harboring them, but giving them information, helping train, whatever it might be. I don't want to comment beyond that. So I want you guys to think of something. What is the going story? The going story of 9-11. Hmm? Where were these people trained? Who paid them? Must get Pakistan. Pakistan needs to choose a side. Pakistan, 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 ISI. And then suddenly it evolves into ISIS, ISIL, ISI, ISIS, ISIL. Damn that world wordplay. Oh, that wordplay. Are you seeing it now? See, the lies that they perpetuate are very easy. Because they focus on things that keep you busy. Very busy. Very, very busy. So today I've been tweeting out um, some very old stuff. But I wanted to share with you this. This was actually classified as top secret. Do you see this picture? This was considered top secret. That's pretty bizarre. Cornfields and storms. Do you see it? It says top secret relative to USA Five Eyes. Hmm? And I've shared only a few. I, I can't blow it up anymore. It's on my Twitter. This is from a, a briefing very long ago. So let me get to another one for you. Hold on. Where am I? I'm like missing my screens. This is one. Let me go back to my profile. So this, I can't blow it up higher. It just shows... And this is part of the same briefing, by the way. This shows how people are controlled globally. China masters this. So you take history and you alter it. You have social networks, right? Obedience, compliance, sociology, they fall between that. It's how they beat you into submission, humiliate you, to silence you or to pen you where they need. And then from the sociological perspective, we take ethnography, culture, and anthropology. So all your cultural nuances, uh, your regional, uh, where you come from, right? Then we have deception, magic, and influence, psychology, right? This is psychology portion of it, where they, I don't want to say beat you into submission. Well, they do. Oh, they do. They will humiliate you and they will say things that are so ridiculous that you get angry and you want to say something, but then you're just like, I'm, I'm not even going to go there and entertain it. 
And these things are pretty shocking, actually very shocking. You know, you're just like, what? The deception, the magic. Then we have psychology and how that intertwines with your economic situation. So it goes to your personality, the trust, the elicitation, all of that falling in, how you manage your finances, but how your personality plays into your socioeconomic status. So all of these things are being monitored and crunched. But we also have biology, neuroscience, evolutionary biology, and global trends. So I was having a very interesting conversation yesterday. Look, this was even classified as secret. This picture was classified as secret. I mean, you have to just uh, wonder how some of these slides and some of these decks were classified as such. You, you're just like, why? why? Why was that done? That makes absolutely no sense, right? How is that done? Everything is an illusion. See, you're distracted on focusing this, on this. You're supposed to be distracted on focusing on all this while what they're doing is even crazier. Hold on, let's see if I can pick. Okay. So things of uh, deception. We have your attention, your perception, your sense-making, your effect on the behavior. So in order to control for attention wise, you have to big move covers the little move. The target looks where you look, right? You know, how you guide the attention, control the attention, uh, you know, attention drops at the perceived end. Repetition reduces vigilance. This is how they deceive you. Okay. They mimic, they say things to decoy you in, to follow their message, to listen to them, right? They mimic it. I mean, uh, when someone mimics you, I mean, it's the greatest form of flattery, of course. But what you do is you have to find a good balance in order to bring it in, create affective stress, create physiological stress. This is how, this is how they submit, right? This is how they control you. Okay. These are all things that they've researched very, very well. Um, uh, this is how they disrupt movements. Oh, when you when a company, you want to discredit it. You say that it leaked confidential information to companies, uh, the press, via blogs. They will create news agencies, blogs, personas just to do that. Post negative information on appropriate forums, stop deals, ruin business. Remember the hairdresser from earlier today who was like, you know, I've always had cameras and this. What did she say? My Yelp is like with all these fake you know, disgruntled people. She's getting death threats. They want to burn her salon down. This is how psychological operations assets work. When you want to get a target, what do you do? You set up a honey trap, like, you know, a guy or a girl to like get blackmail on them, change photos on social networking sites. And in this day and age, they duplicate it. They make fake sites, you know, fake Facebooks, fake Twitters, fake sites to claim whatever they want, like stolen valor, you know, 
shit like that. And then they have blogs and other, you know, ways to like write stuff or pretending to be a victim, pretending to be a witness. They harass your work colleagues, neighbors, friends, whatever. They will just go to this is this stuff is some co considered top secret. You know, one of the biggest playbooks in PSYOPs was actually written by ISI, right? ISI. So you have to understand that these are the actual jihadis. Uh, I don't want to, I mean, see, that term is so overused. It's so bad. But these are the actual terrorists. Hey, these are terrorists. And cyber war you know, I'm fine with a fat disruption globally of all electronic communications. I'm game for that. Because it has come to a point where this technology has gotten out of hand. They have been hijacking us in every single aspect. Combo. Did you know that, you know, when you think of reality hacking, right, or IIA, right? It's been around before uh, the intergalactic uh, internet, that's what they used to call it, existed. At times where our government claimed that we were prosperous and happy, you saw it in female fashion, mini skirts came to life. You know, everyone was dancing, everyone was rebellious looking, and yeah, we've got it on. But when it's a time for depression or a time of um, chaos in society, people were wearing longer skirts, messier, not tidy. When they were bootstrapping themselves, they'd tidy themselves up. They hijack every facet of your reality from your music, movies, fashion, consumer goods. And this is why it's dangerous that they're bringing everything online because they can control it. Now, China was created by us in 45. We helped the CCP. We created it. And they have been pushing this. But you have to think, we created the CCP, but who ultimately controls it all. When the world finds out <clears throat> that this infodemic, this plandemic, this pandemic was all planned, most people know, but it was amplified by deploying global psyops that originated from China. Let me explain to you how that happened. As the news spread about this virus, the media did exactly what you would think. They would silence the news. So you saw videos going viral from journalists that may or may not really exist, showing you bodies, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. They're burning bodies alive. People are climbing out this, okay? And so 
they're doing all of this. And so you're eating it up is that is the truth. Now, the truth is what what you're seeing on TikTok and Twitter because the media is not talking about it. This guy had a seizure and he died. How do you know it was from this year? Oh, why? Because it was posted. How did you know that? So the media placated to that. And they followed the lead. Suddenly, all these people were dying in Italy and the Italian city itself was like, no, they're not. I think they're importing dead bodies. Like, who are these people? And all these rumors, rumors, rumors. So everyone's dying. Everybody shut down. Oh, geez. Hmm. And we're going after TikTok. Because the original videos you saw on YouTube, the original videos you saw on Facebook from places like Italy and China and this is happening came from where? TikTok. Now, what's even weirder is Shadowgate demonstrated to you one conglomerate. Now, we only named a few companies. There's more. There's the iron hand and they have tons of shells companies among them black horse the whole nine yards they're like one group i want you to think of that group as the retired generals we know better we're praetorians you're just mere subjects shut up and listen group now the company that funded all this misinformation came from the same, that that company also had paid $100 million to all those people we showed you on Shadowgate who use your tax dollars to hijack your mind. And now you'll say, well, now we know. Oh, wait, you only know half the story. Dynology, eyesight, iron, mm, black horse, black rock, black stone, nah, 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 right? All of these is one camp. And they all take Chinese dollars and they make trillions of dollars. They not only conduct covert operation, non-covert operations, intelligence operations within the United States, but they also conduct them on foreign soil and they are hired by foreign nations to do the same. Then that's one camp. And then there's another camp and you're stuck in the middle. And now, it's quite interesting because there is one common factor to both, that both camps serve the same source. 
The source that told you in January that this was not catchy and you'd be fine. The source that has been playing PR for China forever. The source that has been milking the World Bank. The source that has been working with both camps, both sides. For every war, there's two sides. You've seen one side and you will soon see the other and you are in the middle. But at the tip of it, those two battle to use your money to hijack the shit out of you. So you don't know what's real and what's not because you don't. I can say with full confidence, 99.99% of all media you get is propaganda, which means there is no freedom of the press, which means you don't even have your First Amendment right, period. And that's going to be demonstrated. Oh, man. It's going to be put so nicely so you understand what the real war is. We Remember that show I did where I said, you're watching a show, you're in the middle, and you might get a stray bullet. I think it was like, what, 20, I believe it was like March 2019, when I was so pissed off that I heard Adam freaking Schiff talking about Ukraine trying to set up the president. I was so pissed off. And I was like, he sat there, he had... There's definitely tracking him to see that he was sitting down with Daniel J. Jones. And I'm like, damn it. Trump's administration is not working for him. They're working against him. He had some knowledge, not all knowledge. Look at Vinman, how cocky and disgusting. These people don't give a damn about you. All these leaders don't give a damn about you whatsoever. All they care about is power, control, and money. And you are simply the commodity that makes that work for them. That's it. Nothing else. Nothing else. You are nobody to them. You are their slaves and you just don't know it yet. You think you're free and you're like the idiot, the village idiot. And let me tell you something. Months ago, I realized I was the village idiot. I'm still struggling, struggling with that on a personal day. Like that is the worst thing to, to, to realize that everything in front of you is a damn illusion and that everyone is working against you at every single facet. And the minute you raise your head, you will get one of these jihadis, one of these terrorists, because that is exactly how they keep us in check. They terrorize us with fear porn. They're terrorizing us with debt. They're terrorizing with humiliation. They terrorize you with everything that you could think of. They will terrorize the shit out of you until you bend the knee and submit. And that is what has been happening for decades. And now is where we stand. The only thing that we can do to break these invisible chains is to be paying attention. China is an identifiable threat, but the Chinese military industrial complex is not Chinese. It's the global military industrial complex. And if you look carefully, you will see that they are all centered to one place, one simple place. And we have been defunding them one after another, after another, after another. So this is all coming down. And this is what's happening. Now, even though, and you know, this was Clearly, I mean, sometimes my friends scare me because they're so brilliant. But we already know 
how they are going to spin the next segment. And we're ready for that because we're 10 steps ahead, a million steps ahead. And these IIA operations, I'm telling you, 99.99% of the crap you see online, on TV, on your radio, and in print are bullcrap. They're telling you that because they want you to focus on that. Okay. That is all they want you to focus on. There's something um, that when we went through <clears throat> training was called, um, it's like a, I don't want to say like operational term. Well, yeah, because it is though. It's called the four D's. Deny, disrupt, degrade, and deceive. The 4D. That's 4D chess. That is what 4D chess is. So you deceive them. You degrade them. You disrupt them. And you deny them. Deny access to information, disrupt any dissemination of actual information, degrade any information that is coming out. That would include targeting the source and then deceive the population with what you want. So when we see this happening in our cyberspace, the whole purpose of this is so that it can come out into say it, the real world. And when it spills into the real world, 4D chess becomes 5D chess because that's where you're destroyed. So they'll deceive you. They will disrupt you. They will deny you. <laughs> degrade, deceive, deny, disrupt. And then comes D5, destroy. That is how they do it. So for years, they've been on air and tweeting. I have been taking the attention to, hey, why don't you focus on your gut? That's the four Ds, five Ds. So we've got D4, right? They'll, they'll, they'll deceive you, right? They will disrupt your information, right? And after they disrupt, they will deny, and then they will degrade, humiliate, degrade. D4. D5s destroy. Because that's when it spills out from the cyberspace into reality. And now you can't stop it. This is how a perfect influence operation happens. They'll say, 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 and that's how it happens. And wait a minute. I think I have a slide for that. And this is, um, oh gosh, I have a slide for the effects of how we use it. And I can't share it right now. Damn it. But there's a slide talking about D4. D5 is the outcome. Okay. So after they've deceived you, they've degraded you, they've denied you. They've done all of these nicely D's and they've disrupted you. It then translates into the real world and they destroy you. And the destruction is not so much a physical destruction. It's your mind. They don't care if you live or die. They prefer you alive because 
They want to hijack your mind. That's it. These puppeteers want to hijack the way you think, the way you talk, the way you walk, what you consider credible, what you don't, what you believe in, what you don't. That's the way it is. This is how they operate. And you know what they fear the most? Those that are impervient to D4. Because the rule of thumb in the uh, intelligence, the actual intelligence community is, if you can't take them down solid with all options of D4, and you know that kind of means you're not getting D5, it means that you're going to be the victim of D5, not your target. So if you can't implement these then you're done. And so what they are most concerned with is you waking up. And this is where this song tells you about it. All right. So can you hear me now? When you want an outcome, you follow it. So... How do you follow it? You follow the plan. There's always a plan. So they deny what you say. They degrade the information you talk about. They disrupt the dissemination that you are distributing. Then they deceive the population. And then comes the final blow. They destroy. And they're not trying to destroy your life. Because they need you. You are the fire. So maybe setting the world on fire is exactly how you can fuel it. That's the key here. Setting the world on fire to fuel it. And I'm going to tell you something. That president is by himself standing in the middle of a war that you do not see, trying to ricochet all those stray bullets. And anyone, there was a cartoon graphic that was going around in 2016 where it showed heads underground and it showed one person lifting their head above ground in a lawnmower coming for it. That's how you get your D4s, <laughs> D4 to get D5. And so by setting fires within, you spark a revolution where people all rise up at once to avoid the destruction. And, you know, it's like, have you ever um, seen Indian scriptures where they're talking about the gods in the sky fighting these titans? Well, I want you to picture that, but with corporations. And they're all fighting over you. But they don't care about you. They care about themselves. And then there's always that one center who. It's pretty interesting. So on that note, I am going to bid you guys goodbye. And I will see you tomorrow, same time, same place. And I will try to upload this to YouTube. So stay feisty I don't want 
Just like a star, a flame in your.